Now, remain standing and take your uh, Bibles and let's have our New Testament reading from the book of Romans, chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 1 to 17, but the, uh, the sermon this morning will just be on verses 12 through 17. Uh, but to get the context, we'll start at verse 1. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that is filled with encouragement for your people. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to its truth this morning. That we would apply them to our lives, Father. That you would be glorified through it. In Christ we ask. Amen. This passage that we read, verses 1 to 17 of chapter 8, is uh, all about our sanctification of becoming holy, becoming conformed to the image of Christ, which by the way, we we are predestined 
to do and to be, uh, according to verse 28 or 29 uh, in Romans, this same chapter. And in verses 1 to 11, Paul lays out the theology of life in the Spirit. And we dealt with that um, when I filled the pulpit uh, the last Sunday in May. And uh, just to review a little bit, in that, cha- in that chapter that we just, just read, those verse, verses 1 to, to uh, 11, the key is found in verse 4, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that, and this is important, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we saw at that time that that happened, uh, that that condemnation took place, condemnation, he condemned sin in the flesh, took place when Jesus died on the cross. We saw that in, in chapter 6. Uh, Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's when it happened. And uh, so that that, uh, lays the theological foundation for our sanctification. Uh, and And it's all God's doing. God is actively involved in our sanctification. So verse 12 introduces a new paragraph setting forth the practical conclusion of verses 1 to 11. Since that's so, he says, so then we're debtors. Or I think the NASB says we are under obligation. Same difference. We have an obligation. We're, we're We're debtors. Not to the flesh, though. We're not indebted to the flesh. We owe a debt of gratitude to God for our freedom. That's our debt. We owe a gratitude of God for our freedom from the law of sin and death. And that gratitude shows itself by putting to death the deeds of the body. That's how it's evidenced. That's how we, our gratitude is worked out in life. So, verse 13 then says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live... You have two contrasting conditional clauses, if. And he's laying out a principle here of two possibilities of human existence. You know, everybody in the world are made up of two classes of people. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. And we saw when Pastor Paul was preaching through Ephesians 1 that... that, uh, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. A person who is in Adam continues to walk according to the flesh and cannot please God, as we we read a few moments ago. In fact, the person is hostile to God. He doesn't submit to God's law because he doesn't want to. And so you have here these two possibilities of human existence. The in Adam people who live according to the flesh... And the in Christ people who live according to the Spirit. And the contrast is between death 
and life here. Those who live according to the flesh will die. But it's not merely the fact that they will die physically, because those who live according to the Spirit also die physically, but it's the fact that they will die without the possibility of hope or life with God. It's, the, it's what Revelation calls the second death. That's the death he's talking about. Those who live according to the flesh die. But those who live according to the Spirit, who put to death the deeds of the body, will live. And again, it's, it's eternal life. It's a life that is eternally with God, and in the presence of God, and in fellowship with God, now and forever. The question is, how does one put to death the deeds of the body? That's really what this is about, isn't it? For he says, All who, uh, for if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, notice the instrument for putting to death the deeds of the body. It's by the Spirit. The Spirit is the only means whereby we can put to death the deeds of the body. Now this doesn't imply that the Holy Spirit is kind of like a tool that we can pick up and use at our, at our own discretion and manage it. No. The Holy Spirit itself, uh, as, you, as you see in the, next, in the next verse, all who are led by the Spirit, it's the Spirit who's leading and we're following. We're not managing, the Spirit is, and we follow. So, Paul says in Colossians, uh, compare the verse with Colossians 3.5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, and do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now, it's true that putting to death the deeds of the body is an activity on our part. We're responsible for doing that. But we can only do it by means of the Spirit. Back in in May, when uh, when we were dealing with verse 11 chapters and talking about this internal battle between the flesh and the Spirit uh, that goes on inside us as believers... Uh, and I refer to the little boy who said to who said to his father, says, "It's like I've got two dogs fighting inside me, a bad dog and a good dog. Which one's going to win?" And his father says, "The one you feed. <laughs> what you feed grows, and what you starve dies. And that that's kind of a key principle in putting to death the deeds of the body. You know, there are a lot of um, a lot of do's in the New Testament, and we can. And when we get, to, you, if you, uh, you know, if you read chapter eight or chapter, yeah, the rest of chapter eight, not, not chapter eight, chapter twelve, when he says, "By the I plea, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God." Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that's kind of a theme for for chapter 12 through 15, actually. 
But he, he, he talks about a lot of things that we should do. And let me just point out some there. He says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. There are lots of, there are lots of those dudes. And if we're feeding those, we will naturally starve the flesh. It's like the guy who said, I don't worry too much about the don'ts in Scripture. Because I'm so busy doing the do's that I don't have time to deal with the don'ts. <laughs> and that's, that's the principle for starving the flesh. For starving the deeds of the body. We're actively involved in seeking to do what God would have us to do. It's kind of like a, a muscle that atrophies. Why does it atrophy? From disuse. If you don't use it, they say, use it or lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. It has to be active, it has to, be active to grow and to grow stronger. And it's the same principle in our spiritual lives. And the Spirit leads us to do that. He leads us in that direction. Because, verse 4, verse 14, for or because all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. It's fundamentally a work of the Spirit. Just a couple other verses, three, two or three other verses that deal with being led by the Spirit. Galatia, Luke 4, 1, speaks about Jesus and says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And in Galatians 5.18, Paul writes, For if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. And 1 Corinthians 2.2, the Corinthians came out of paganism. And he said, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. So even those, those without the Spirit are being led as well. They're being led by their own evil inclinations uh, at the instigation of the enemy of their souls. James writes in James 1, 14 and 15, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So it begins with the with the inclination of the heart. In Genesis chapter 6, it said God looked out over mankind and saw that every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. But our inclinations have been changed by the new birth. (laughs) But God has taken away our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh and put a new spirit within us and causes us to walk in his ways. And so we're no longer enslaved to those other inclinations. We have new inclinations. 
And we're free to obey those and not we're no longer enslaved. And so he says, all who are led by the Spirit of God then are sons of God. The sons of God really interprets the will live in the previous verse. This because the sons of God, life is promised to those who are not uh, again, it's, again, it's not a mere dying. It's, it's, it's a, to be a son of God is to live as an heir of God. We're part of it. We're members of his family. We inherit. Both now and forever we are sons. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And, and that, that status is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Now, the activity of the believer, so when we're putting to death the deeds of the body and walking in according to the Spirit, that is the evidence. That's the evidence, outward evidence of the Spirit's activity inside us. And the activity of the Spirit is the cause of the believer's activity. So it's the Spirit who is the agent of that new life in us, that works in us and leads us in the way. And it's worked out outwardly in our lives, and that's the evidence of the Spirit's activity. So when you're when you're when you when your desire is to follow after God, to seek to do what pleases Him and do those things, that's that's evidence for you of the Spirit's work in your life. And that's encouraging. That should be encouraging to us. Because you see, a person without the Spirit does not have those desires in the first place. And then verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is, this is clarifying again, verse 14, about this being sons of God. The Holy Spirit whom we, we have received is not a spirit of bondage, uh, but of adoption. He said the spirit you have received, or you received, that's a... In, in, in Greek, that's, a, that's a, a tense that means it happened... Sometime in the past, at a point in time, with continuing results in the present. And so, really, that, be, that, that references the beginning of our Christian life. When you received the Spirit, that happened at our new birth. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, which we've covered here in the last few weeks, In him also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. That's also the same tense there. You were, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Who is a guarantee. I like that word. A guarantee of our inheritance until we, we, we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. The inheritance is there and it's guaranteed until we actually possess it. Praise God. Ephesians 1.5 says, 
that God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ. So this is, this is all the work of God. Our justification and our sanctification is a work of God. So the Spirit has not, he's writing to these Romans here, the Spirit has not betrayed their hopes by subjecting them to the same sort of anxious fear they had that they had experienced before, whether in paganism or whether in Judaism. They're, they're free from that fear, that anxious fear that, well, you know, either am, am, I, am I appeasing the gods, you know, if they brought, were in paganism. They were always worried about that. Got to, got to do things to please the gods. Or whether it's by thinking the, that it was by the works of the law. Either one, there's a fear there. And this is not the Holy Spirit, you see. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a spirit of slavery, of fear. Now, the Spirit is not the agent of adoption. The Father is. Right? The Father is the one who adopts us. The Spirit creates in the children of God a love and a confidence to exercise our rights and privileges as children of God. That's the work of the Spirit, to encourage us to exercise those rights as children of God. And we exercise that right when, enabled by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. We come before God with all of our needs and all of our concerns. Because we're children. We come to Him as our Father. We cry, Abba, Father. It's like the question that we read this morning in the, the Shorter Catechism question about the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, teaches us to draw near to God with holy reverence and confidence as His children to a Father, able and ready to help us, whatever we ask. That's, that's how we exercise our rights and privileges as children of God, coming to Him and asking what we need. And this says, we cry, Abba, Father. That's, that's not an imperative. That's, that's an indicative. It's a statement of fact. It's saying, and we actually do that. We do that. Christians are doing that. Now, implicit in that is that we should continue to do it, you know, on a daily basis, on a regular basis. We should continue to do it. And that's all that's required of us. You see... It's what the whole law of God is aimed at achieving. All, all that must be said about Christians, the Christian's obedience has already been said in principle when this has been said. When we cry, Abba, Father. When we come to Him. And He the one, He's the one who provides the strength to, to obey. Nothing more is required but to cry, Abba, Father, with full sincerity and full assurance and full seriousness. Now, this, this necessarily implies that, you know, we come with a heart that is that, that, uh, seeking, seeking with all our heart to be 
and to think and to say and to do what is well-pleasing to Him. If we come with that attitude to Him, then, you see, what, 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 we, what we read in the first part of Romans here, the righteous requirements of the law will be fulfilled in us. If we have a heart that is sincerely wanting to be what God wants us to be, and to think His thoughts after Him, and to say what He wants us to say, and to do what He wants us to do, that's, a, that's the attitude of our heart, and we're asking Him for those things. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, because the Holy Spirit will bring those about in our lives. Now, it's a lifelong process. We grow. We grow in that as we go through our Christian lives. And uh, we're always going to fail. I mean, we're going we're to fail. I don't, I don't mean to say we're always going to fail, but we're going to fail on a regular basis. That's what I mean. We're going we're to fail on a regular basis. Uh, and we won't get the perfection until this life is over. But we will get there. Because God who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. According to Philippians 1.6. It will happen. And in verse 16 then he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's intended to confirm and to clarify the adoption as sons here by whom we cry, Abba Father. It rests upon something, you see, prior to our crying, Abba Father. Namely, the fact that no less than the authority of God Himself, by the Spirit, assures us and continues to assure us that we are His children. Now, I think, uh, my, my personal opinion is that this should have been translated, the Spirit bears, bears witness to our spirit, rather than with our spirit, because... The knowledge that we're God's children is, is not something we can impart to ourselves. You see, anybody could say, yeah, I'm a child of God. It has to be given from outside of us and beyond us. And in fact, the reason I say it should be translated to our spirits is because it's in the dative case, which, which is more of a to than a with. <laughs> there. Uh. The Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are given to. He, he has given us the knowledge that we are God's children. He imparts that to us, that we're His children. And that knowledge is not, is not to be identified with our calling God Father. Rather, it's the warrant for our calling God the Father. That we're, the, 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 the Spirit tells us, testifies to us that we're God's children. And based on that fact, we have warrant to call Him Father, Abba Father. And that, imparting that knowledge that we're God's children, really, uh, the Spirit has been doing stuff in us from... 
the point of regeneration. The Spirit is the one who enabled us to call upon God for salvation. You know, John 1.12, But to all who receive Him, who believe His name, He gave the right to be called children of God. Those who put their trust in Him. But how, how do they put their trust in Him? Because the Spirit changed our hearts, opened our blind eyes and our deaf ears that we could see our sin and call upon Him in repentance and faith. The Spirit supplied that to us. John says in 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of God. In verse 17, And if children... Now, at the end of May, when, I, when we talked about the first 11 verses, I talked about these if clauses in, in chapter 8. Because there are several of them. And this... Also, this is a what's called in Greek grammar a first-class conditional if. That is, if and is true. So, there are four classes. There's if and is true, if and is not true, if and it may be true and it may not be true. That's, that's what we normally think of when we think of a conditional clause. Well, it might be true and it might not. But if it is, but a first-class condition is if and it is true. So it can be translated since. And since children... We've already been told we're children of God in the previous verse. We are children of God. And since children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Again, the ESV says, provided we suffer with Him. But that's also an if clause in the original language. And it's also a first class condition. It says, it basically says, being that, we suffer with him, which we do. We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, those with, we suffer with him, glorified with, that's a compound word in the original language. The with is a part of the word. The comp is the first part of the word. And that, that gets to the fact, again, that I talked about in, in verses 1 to 11, about being in Christ and the whole fact of our unity with Christ. We are unified with Him. We cannot be separated from Him. In fact, you know, the verse, the chapter begins with no condemnation, but it is with no separation. We cannot be separated from Him. So, we suffer with Him, and we will be glorified with Him. Acts 4.22, Paul has, has uh, just been beaten for, for his faith for, for proclaiming the gospel. And afterwards, he goes back through these same churches in Galatia, teaching them and building them up, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. So, if you look at the Gospels and Jesus' teaching, the indication from Jesus' teaching is that suffering is something we should expect. You know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, he says. 
Look at Romans chapter 1, verse five, well, 1 to 5. Uh, chapter 5, excuse me, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering is in fact a part of God's design to conform us into the image of His Son. Because suffering produces other things. Suffering produces character, produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. It's the Spirit working. Now just a word, just a brief word about our inheritance. The Old Testament reading this morning says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, the richer and deeper thought is here in terms of inheritance is that, is that God Himself is our inheritance. He's, it's, not, it's not all the stuff. You know, it's God Himself is our inheritance. And we're fellow heirs with Christ. This is an aspect of communion and union with Christ. And it'll still be there in glory. This chapter is a great chapter. In fact, uh, there's, there's a lot more to it yet, but I think I mentioned that J.I. Packer said, you know, the book of Romans is, is the mountain peak of Scripture, and chapter 8 is the mountain peak of Romans. It's a great chapter. May you be encouraged and again call God, call Him Father, and come to Him with all that you need and with those and, and express your desire to be like Him. And the Spirit will supply the power to put the death of Jesus' body. That's feeding the Spirit and starving the flesh. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you, you began the work, Lord, and you continue the work by your Spirit in us. We're thankful, Father, that you're always working in us. That everything that comes into our lives, Lord, you bring for your purposes and for our good. Help us, Lord, to be more diligent in prayer and coming to you, Father. Seeking your strength for us, your power in us. Help us, Father, as individuals in, in, the, in the places you've placed us in our neighborhoods to be a light to those who are in darkness. May they see the joy in us, Lord, and ask the reason for the hope that we have, that we may be able to 
Share your truth that others may come to know you. We ask these things, Lord, for your glory, not for ours, but for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.